God says, I know the plans I have for you. Wouldn't it be great to know exactly what God's plans were for us in the next 20 years? What's it mean to have a living Christ? In terms of the church, what does it mean for Jesus to be alive in your church? I want to speak to you today from the words of our Lord in his Sermon on the Mount. If you have your Bibles, obviously that's in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 is where I'm going to begin. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may glorify your good works. See your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, in 2020 vernacular, that verse means do something great for people that will amplify the glory of God. Amen? And, and I believe for the true church of Jesus Christ, that is how you measure success. And I believe in spiritual success for three reasons. Before I give you those reasons, let me tell you that I am going to recycle three phrases from our past. First of all, spiritual success isn't just an option for us because the alternative is spiritual failure. Now, I guess we could handle a little failure if, if all we were talking about was uh, were a, few million, a couple million dollars and, and maybe a little property and some esteem in the eyes of the community. No great loss. It's all going to burn up in a fervent heat anyway, the Bible says. But that's not what we're talking about, is it? We're talking about the eternal destinies of boys and girls Teenagers, men and women, grandmas and grandpas, they're facing Jesus Christ and not knowing that heaven will be their home. And we cannot accept spiritual failure. Secondly, I believe in spiritual, spiritual success because it is the holy way to live. If we're going to attempt something great for God in the years to come, then we need to know going in, it's going to take everything that we've got. To do the kinds of things God will lead his church to do will mean man after man, woman after woman, teen after teen will have to reach the place in their spiritual lives when they consecrate themselves, mind, soul, body, and spirit, your talents, your resources, your energies, your yesterday, today, and forever to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Until every fiber of your being, right down to the core of who you are, has but one deep supreme desire, and that is to be like and to serve Jesus Christ. And in that moment, God in his mighty spirit will suddenly infill you with his joy and peace until his great love just comes cascading over the empty caverns of your heart, and through him you are able to do all that he might ask you to do. Now, in a lot of churches, there are different names for that, but we Nazarenes call that holiness. And spiritual success demands holiness. Number three, I believe in spiritual success because the Bible teaches it. Everywhere you turn in this marvelous book, God's asking somebody to do something tremendous. Noah built a boat, and the old man became a carpenter. Moses, at the age of 80, delivered my people out of Egypt, and the old man led them out. 
Abraham, 100 years old, be the father of a nation. And the old man did. <laughs> it is amazing, isn't it? Joshua, take that nation. Jonah, go to Nineveh. Paul, take faith, hope, and love to the world. Everywhere in this book, God is sending people on some great task. But you know, I've, I've read this book through, and I've yet to find the verse that says, go forth and fail. That command isn't in the Scriptures, because God has called His people to spiritual success. And if he calls us to it, then you can believe that God will have all the resources we need to get the job done. Now, the key to how it's possible to do the will of God as a church is found in the words of Jesus on the night before his death. If you have your Bibles, whether, whether it's paper and ink like this one or on a screen, turn to John chapter 14 and stay there with me through the message. John chapter 14. Beginning at verse 12, John 14, verse 12. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. Because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. And if you love me, keep my commands. Even greater things? You can say that this way. Dream great dreams. I want to ask you this morning, do you believe in your heart do you really believe in your heart? Are you dreaming about the possibilities of what God is going to want us to do in the next five years? Not because of what we can do, not because of how many we're going to become, but because of where Jesus is this morning and what he's doing. He's not lying in a tomb anywhere, folks. He is sitting at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us alive and well. Are you able to see beyond what life is and catch a glimpse of what life can be? What do you suppose would happen if we crawled inside the attitude and the mind of Christ and looked out through his eyes? Do you think maybe we'd be able to see life as it could be, as it should be? There's a story of a young mother who took her two small children to the grocery store. And ladies, you all know what it's like to take a four-year-old and an 18-month-old to the grocery store, don't you? She's in there holding one, the one-year-old on her hip. She's pushing the cart with the other hand. She's trying to keep track of the four-year-old and find bargains all at the same time. And finally, she's ready to head for the checkout line. And when she gets there, of course, all the candy is right there where a four-year-old can get to it. And it's a long line, and she's just about at her wit's end. And now the baby is tired and throwing a fit. And she's so busy with the baby that she loses track of the four-year-old. And he walks up and starts looking at the woman in line ahead of them. And this woman is, as the Bible would say, great with child. I mean, she's out there. People nervous just being around her. Now, this four-year-old remembers where the 18-month-old came from. He's seen this before. 
and he's fascinated. His eyes are getting bigger and bigger as he begins circling this poor woman about three times. And finally, he stops right in front of her. And you know about how tall a four-year-old is. Stands right in front of her, cups his hands, and goes, Hello in there! <laughs> and sometimes I wonder if God himself, that great insomniac who cannot sleep because his mind is smoking with visions for his people, comes with some great vision for the church and hands it to his messenger, the Holy Spirit, who speeds to the church, and then he circles our churches again and again, crying out, hello in there. But we're so busy with our programming and counting noses and having services that we miss it. In 2020, God help us not to settle for our puny little plans for the church when we might have the dream that God has destined for us. And I believe a church needs to have a sense of divine destiny. And I believe if we ever get hold of a sense of a, of a God-given destiny, something great's going to happen. Well, how do you know when there's a sense of God-given destiny that's come upon a church? Well, first of all, you begin to feel a sense of ownership spreading through the congregation, not just the church board, not just the official membership leadership, but throughout the congregation, you begin to hear people saying things like, when we have our new building, our churches." outreach programs. We're going to have a great facility. It's not theirs, it's ours. I'm part of this. I'm part of what's happening here. I'm invested in this. I've got skin in the game. And you can feel their hearts beginning to beat with what God's doing in the church because they feel as though they're playing a part in what God wants to do. And whenever there's a sense of divine destiny upon a church, the people begin to believe that something great is possible. So when there's belief and faith and ownership and unity, then God has come to a church and nothing can stop us. If as one people speaking the same language they've begun to do this, nothing will be impossible for them, God says in Genesis eleven six. Dream great dreams. The second phrase I want you to see is found in verses 13 and 14. I will do anything that you pray for in my name. So we have to pray great prayers. Anything in my name? That's quite a promise, isn't it? Another little boy, not the one in the grocery store, but this little boy has just gone through one of life's saddest experiences. He had a puppy that he really loved, but it ran out into the street and tragedy struck. And now this little boy is sitting in his room, whimpering, crying, grieving over his puppy. And his mom comes in, and she's broken up too because of how she sees her little boy hurting so much. She sits down right next to him and puts her loving arm around him, gave him a squeeze. Said, honey, you miss your puppy, don't you? Yeah, I do. I tell him all my problems. He says, oh, honey, I'm your mother. You can tell me all your problems. He said, sometimes you are my problem. <laughs> Folks, have you ever packed some problems? 
In 2003, God called us away from this beautiful place called Raleigh, North Carolina, to go pastor a church in Marion, Ohio. Attendance was way down. Several key families had left the church. Income had fallen off. The church board informed this new pastor at our first board meeting that there was this big balloon payment due on the church property in just two months. I asked the board, well, how much money have you put away to pay it? Not one dollar. All right. So we went to prayer, and we set a miracle date. And on that one Sunday morning, the entire balloon payment, which represented 10% of, our, of their entire church income, but not only that, but we raised over $260,000 cash on that one Sunday, and the church became debt-free. It was amazing. Closer to home. Soon after coming to Raleigh for the first time, that's what we look like. <laughs> There's your pastor's wife on the far right. What people don't know is we were actually all standing up. She was seven foot four as a teenager. We had to have her femurs cut down. Otherwise, Philip would have never gotten a kiss. <laughs> but not long after we got here, we knew that we were going to need a new worship space. And the district superintendent... He said, well, you know, they, they burnt their mortgage about 10 years ago. And he said, I was told that Raleigh First Church will never build. They'll never go into debt. And I thanked him for his encouragement. <laughs> and then we launched what we called back then something, Together We Can. And I'll come back to that later. And so we went together. This is a picture of our entire church congregation at the groundbreaking. And we broke ground right about where Phil Matthews is sitting now. And that little crowd came together and built this beautiful new sanctuary in 1995. A few years later, God laid another burden on my heart for the hundreds of young adults who were moving into our community. So many of them were unchurched. Many of them were beginning families. They had babies that would need to learn about Jesus I went to prayer, and, but, but even then, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how we could reach them. But God began to speak into my heart, and what he had to say was a bit overwhelming. And I knew that we were going to have, I was going to have to go to the church board and convince them that we had a responsibility to offer Christian daycare for all these families. So I really went to prayer I, because I knew that was going to mean another building program and another financial campaign. And the church board came together for their first meeting of the new year. And when the business was over, I laid out for them what I felt God had laid out for me. And they were just dead silent. Taken aback. They didn't want to say yes. But it felt so right they couldn't say no. And we as a church board went to prayer, and soon we were moving forward, and the Sunshine Learning Center was just a concept then. It needed some upfront money, and we didn't have any upfront money. So I was praying again, and God told me to take this guy out for lunch. We'd been coming to church for about a month. We went out for lunch, and I, showed, and I talked to him about what we needed to do, what God wanted us to do. And he said, how can I help? I said, we need some money. And he reached in, pulled out his checkbook, and wrote a check for $25,000 and handed it to me. 
About three weeks after that, his wife got mad about something and they left the church. But I'd already cashed that check. <laughs> I'm not stupid. So we opened the learning center and it was full and things were going great. And boy, everybody was just as happy as could be. And then one night, a tornado struck. And there you see all of our roof laying out on Highway 70. And it destroyed about 60% of our learning center. We'd opened the learning center in what was the old sanctuary and shut down all the rest of the old part of the building. You see, the whole roof was gone. And standing out there in the parking lot, rain coming down, there were about 75 of us that night, probably about 10 o'clock at night, standing outside the police tape. And boy, it looked like we were through. All that prayer, all that hard work, all that remodeling, all the red tape, all the money spent, all the dream gone. And I was awake most of the night praying, saying, all right, God, now what? Because I don't know. Now what? Many of us who remember, we were praying through the night, and I learned what it meant to pack some problems. But beginning about 6 o'clock the next morning, People started showing up out here in the parking lot. Prayers began to be answered. Church members came and turned out, turned out and forced to help. Now, it was 7 o'clock in the morning. I don't know where Cindy Price found a piece of chicken, but she got one somewhere. <laughs> and wasn't sharing it with anybody. Oh, Nick Carter begging for a piece of chicken. He ain't getting it. The neighborhood members of the community came and started helping us. They came with their, with their shovels and rakes and chainsaws and blowers. And restaurant managers brought food for our workers all day. And the city fathers came and offered us to use one of their buildings so that our learning center could remain open while ours was being rebuilt. And it was amazing. Now, 20 years earlier, I would have gotten down on my knees and done some wishful praying. You know what wishful praying is? You ever done any wishful praying? Lord, I sure wish that tornado would have missed us. Lord, I sure wish you'd take care of this financial problem. I sure wish you'd make my friend well again. I sure wish you'd get more people to come to our church. I sure wish we'd have sunshine our whole vacation. Wishful praying. When I take all of my problems and I stack them up in front of me, then I push them at God with one hand and say, wish you'd take care of that, God. We push them at God with one hand because we have to keep plan B in the other hand in case God doesn't come through. But folks, what I've learned is that when you're pushing your problems at God, now there's something between you and God. And my prayer this morning is, God, don't let me pray just to have my problems solved. Let me pray. Let the goal of my praying be you. You know, when you're pushing your problems to God, that stack of problems can be so tall that you can't even see God anymore. All you can see are your problems. The Bible doesn't say, and I hide my problems in thee. It says, I hide myself in thee. And I needed to get from wishful praying to hopeful praying. You know what that is? Hopeful praying is when I've reached the place of utter surrender and I push all of my problems out of the way until there's absolutely nothing between me and my, between God and my heart. 
and now I can rush into his arms with both my hands empty and open. I can cling to him for I'm not holding on to a plan B. I have nothing at all. All I have is God. All of my hope is in God. And out of that clinging relationship with God comes a faith that is so true and so pure that it can achieve great things for God and accept anything from God. A breakthrough into a new realm of faith where it's not just faith to believe in what God will do, but even faith to believe in whatever God does. And in that moment, then my Christian friends, pray for anything because then you're praying in the name of Jesus Christ. I had a retired pastor in my church when I was pastoring in Urbana, Illinois, by the name of Reverend, Reverend Raymond Burton. Re Brother Burton was a great guy. Nazarene pastor, probably never pastored 50 people in his life. Never had a big church. But he was a great man of prayers. He prayed great prayers. And it always seemed like his prayers got answered. Whatever Brother Burton prayed for seemed to happen. So you know what I did? I was a young preacher. I'd take him out for breakfast and I'd find out what he prayed for. Hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. We're all right. All right. Thank you. Thank you. If you're back with me, say amen. All right. What was I talking about? Who? Oh, yeah. So I'd take him out for breakfast, and I'd find out what he was praying for. Then on Sunday morning, I'd pray for that, too, in front of everybody. And people started thinking I was a great prayer, too. <laughs> you know, if we just knew of someone who had a great track record for getting his prayers answered, wouldn't that be great? I know someone, don't you? The Bible says he's interceding at the right hand of the Father every day, day and night, unceasing. And if we could just somehow know what Jesus Christ is praying for, that's what we could pray for. And that's what it means to pray in the name of Jesus. Years ago, I read a prayer of Mother Teresa that had an impact on me. She said, and Lord, I pray for myself that I might not loosen my grip on the hand of Jesus even under the guise of feeding the poor. And my brothers and sisters, my prayer is that we will not loosen our grip on the hand of Christ even under the guise of building a church, even under the guise of reaching a community, even under the guise of saving souls. Let us grip the hand of Jesus so tightly that we will have no choice but to follow him wherever he leads us. Amen? Phrase number three is found in verse 15. We have to dream great dreams and pray great prayers and obey great commands. Now, God has a problem. That sounds kind of funny, doesn't it? God who can do anything has a problem. His problem is he wants one thing that he cannot get. His problem is that he wants it, but he can't make us. I used to think that all God wanted more than anything was for us to say, yes, sir, I'll do it. Just unwavering obedience. That's all God wants. 
But I've learned that God doesn't just want that. He doesn't just want you to do what He says. He wants you to like it. Look, holiness, folks, for us, being good has never been good enough. You've got to be good for the right reason. And the only right reason is the love you have in your heart for God. And the problem God has is that he simply cannot force you to love him. So it puts this God of this universe in a rather awkward position. For now, he must court you. He must plead with you. He has to ask you to love him. And I wonder how far will this great God go in asking for our love? I'm sure my finite mind cannot even comprehend the length God's will will go, God's love will go. But I know this. He went from the very center of heaven where he took the pure essence of his being and flung it across the universe until it landed in the womb of a teenage girl. And on a starry night, while shepherds were startled and angels held their breath, a girl cried out in childbirth and the Son of God squirmed in the hay. That's how far he'll go. But he'll go beyond that. For he'll go from that manger until he crawls up on an old wooden cross and he let them nail one hand stretched out on one side and one hand stretched out on the other side to show and prove once and for all that the arms of God are open for everyone forever. And there he writhed in his pain and wondered why all had forsaken him. And he looked down at the cross from that cross arm of torture and he saw the likes of you and me. And he said, Father, forgive them. His life's blood left his body and it was finished. But he'll go even farther than that. He'll go to the back of a blackened cave in a dead carcass. And there in the wee hours darkness of an Easter morning, a dead carcass suddenly twitched. And an arm jerked. And empty lungs filled with air. And death-blinded eyes opened to new resurrection light. And Jesus stood on his wounded, wobbly, pierced feet. The stone rolled away and he walked out and praised God. He is alive today. But Jesus Christ went beyond that. For this same loving Savior who left heaven to come to a manger, to die on a cross, to walk out of a tomb, he now walks up to the door of your heart and my heart this morning. And with the crown of heaven in his hand, like a common beggar, he raps at the door, saying, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Folks, I don't know about you, but in obedience, I'm going to do anything that God asks me to do because I love him. Let me close this morning with this story. It's a true story. It took place in the 70s in a little town in the far east where the communists had come in 
brought all of their destruction. And they took a little family out into the street, and there, right before a woman's eyes, they shot her husband and murdered her sons, leaving her with nothing but a tiny baby in her arms. And locking her arms around that child, she watched them burn down her home, left her helpless, homeless, broken. And stunned, she wandered the streets of her village, oblivious to the soldiers running and the smells and all the confusion, all morning, all afternoon, till finally under the cover of darkness, she made her way to a little place on the edge of the village. There was a little two-story building that served as the Church of the Nazarene. And the upstairs served as the living quarters for the pastor's family, and she knocked on the door, and soon a light came on upstairs, and then a couple of lights came on downstairs in the little sanctuary and finally the door opened and when it did this woman literally fell into the arms of the pastor the pastor's wife took the baby out of her arms and the woman looked up at the Nazarene pastor and she said sir is this the place where they heal broken hearts hmm. folks that's the dream that I have for this ministry. Be it children or confused young people or single parents or the lonely or the aged, that one day they would find this place to a place where God heals broken, hurting hearts. And the great prayer I pray is that before Jesus comes back, we can somehow salvage as many lost souls as possible out there. And the great command I'm calling us to obey this morning is to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love the people for whom he died. And whoever you are in this place on this Sunday morning, I can tell you two things for sure. One, Jesus Christ is still alive. And secondly, he came out of the tomb loving you. I want you to bow your heads. And have you heard him speak love into your heart this morning? Silently in your heart, I want you to pray this same prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I believe what I've heard today. And I know that everything I am, everything I have, should be totally yours if you ever need it. You died for me so that your blood could cover my sins. So this morning, right now, I'm asking you to be my Savior. God, forgive me. And on this Sunday morning, please bring eternal life into my heart. I pray in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. So now we come to 2020 with the same loving God calling his church to dream great dreams and pray great prayers and obey great commands. And to get us to that place where he can save broken hearts and save broken marriages and redeem broken men and women like you and me, we have to begin building the future today. And when this is completed, if you haven't driven by, you should. When this is completed, we can, and we go out there and we face the new challenges of 2020, one of them, 
One of them is going to be to service the mortgage on the new property and this new campus. And that's going to require about $180,000 a year. That's a really big number, isn't it? But I remember 25 years ago when that little crowd that stood out on the lawn when we broke ground, they were going to have to come up with 65000 a year, and that was huge for that crowd, about half of this size. And yes, we know that they did it, but I want you to hear some of the testimonies of those who prayed and obeyed and sacrificed for that dream. Those testimonies were given, and we wrote them down, and we have them. The first testimony is going to be from an elderly woman well into her 90s. She's going to testify, and then you're going to hear the testimony of a younger woman, and then the testimony of a man who loved his church. Been, this has been my church for a long time. I love it, and I love the people in it. When I heard about Together We Can, I went home and asked the Lord, how at my age, 90 years old, living on Social Security, I can be a part? And the Lord reminded me that every Sunday after church, I go to Ryan's and I get that petite sirloin steak. So my pledge is that for the next three years, instead of getting that steak, I'll give that money to the building fund. The building program has always been high on our list of priorities. We started out with $10 a week in 1991. We have been giving $25 a week in 92. We are committed to giving $100 a week for the next 156 weeks for the building fund. We will do this by not having anyone clean our home each week, which is about $25. Instead of buying the new car, which would have cost $51.49 a week, we will do without in order to ensure that this amount is paid to the building fund. It still looks like our budget will be short $15.01 per week, but we are depending on God to supply this amount in whatever manner he chooses. We have a list of nine major items around our home that may need replacing or repairing in the next few years. We usually put away money and savings for such things but we are trusting God for whatever adjustments we will need to make. Lack of security is a sacrifice which we will give to God and his kingdom building. And that's the spirit we saw in family after family after family back then. They had a dream for this, where you're seated this morning. And they sincerely prayed as to how they could make this dream come true. And then they obeyed what God laid on their hearts. So this year, 2020, we're asking you to do the same, to help us begin building the future today. As you leave this morning, we've done this every year. This is a special year. But as we leave this morning, you'll be given an envelope with a commitment card if you choose to join us in dreaming and praying and obeying. And last year, 63% of our congregation participated in the building fund, and we're asking for a higher percentage this year because currently we have a construction loan from the Nazarene District that we're paying only 1% on. But in just a few months, we have to convert to a conventional loan 
And so I've been talking to potential lenders, and one of the things they always ask is, what percentage of your congregation is going to support this? And as always, on this card, we're asking you just to indicate what range of financial support of the building fund you will trust God to help you give in 2020. And this is above your tithe as God provides. Dream a great dream of what God can do through us. Pray as to how God will enable you to make the dream come true and then simply do what he asks you to do, trusting him to provide. Your response to God's voice, we ask you to bring the cards back to us, back to me, by Sunday, January 26th. But on Saturday, January 25th, we want you to be a part of our nine hours of prayer. Starts at 8 in the morning and finishes at 5 that evening. Every 30 minutes, there'll be another group of people coming here and praying in the conference room, bathing this dream in prayer. And every 30 minutes represents $10,000 of our dream's goal. And we want you, whoever you are, I don't care if you've been coming here one week or 50 years, we need you to be a part of prayer for this. This building the future today needs your prayers, both privately and united with ours. So if that happens, if you really get on your knees and pray about this, the financial side of the dream will come true. And then we can serve God freely to see the spiritual dream of saving souls and families come true as well. You believe God will provide? You believe God is just as faithful today as he was 30 years ago? All right, let's stand and pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for being with us today, and we've looked into your word. You said that we can do even greater things, and that we, you will answer the prayers that are prayed in your name. And you said, if we love you, we'll obey you. So God, I pray that between now and the beginning of February, you will search our hearts, pour your love into us, give us a love for our church, but give us a love for those who have yet to find you as their Savior and will need our church in the years to come. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you.